Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. I feel like the build of these sneakers are similar to, like, the build, not the look, mm -hmm. to a Yeezy. Do this all kind of come in the same wave? Or am we I... launched before Yeezy. Okay. But you know what? <laughs> I think what what I will confidently say, and I just know this because of all of our friends in the industry. Um, I, I, don't, we... I don't mean to disrespect you at all. No, 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 you shouldn't. I, I'll take it as an opportunity to say I think a lot of people actually paid attention to York when we launched. Like, we launched, um, Bodega carried our sneakers, Hypebeast wrote about us. We launched in this space in this time when this just wasn't really happening, and very soon after that, like they were logos logos stopped dropping off the side of things. I mean, a huge catalyst in like how we got funding in the brand even was we're like, look at the market. This is messed up. Like, you cannot buy a performance sneaker without three bold stripes on the side or a giant swoosh. Like the mm -hmm. branding and the logo is always popping off. Like, like that's. The, I feel you. The key, you know, element where like we just want it to be sophisticated, minimal, understated, like the every other aspect of my life and my wardrobe is is like that. But I cannot find gym sneakers. Um, so the fact that they're crossing over for people now is like because that's all people were wearing for lifestyle. And then they were literally have to take those shoes off and put on something ugly and like uncomfortable I don't know. I just always felt like I had to dress up in a costume to go to the gym or to, to run or something. Oh, oh, God, what's going on? Where am I going? Oh. Dad? Yes, my son. I am Deuce, the deer god. I'm so confused. Who am I? Derek, your true name is Dercules. Dercules. Wait, what? Yes, you are Dercules, the god of the forest. Season five. Hosted by your favorite podcast host, Big Bochi. You already know the deal, motherfucker. What's up? Hi, my name is Elizabeth McGarry. I'm the creative director for York Athletics, and this is my golden hour. Yes, sir. And with that, signifies well, we actually already ran an episode in the space. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a okay. Don't look like it's that I'm atrocious. All right, not, I get not. you're creative, but yeah, we're trying our best over here. But this is the I first time Abu's been here, manning all the audio and the video. It's legit. <laughs> it's super legit. When Elizabeth came in, for everybody listening or watching, she said, "Oh, it's like between two ferns. <laughs> it's like Zach Galifianakis." Which made me feel really excited. Have you seen any of his Obama interviews? No. Oh, he's great. Oh, I don't know. He's great, man. So good. I, I wonder if he's like, if he's, um, he ever like gets too caught up in the character because he's so effective at the hangover character. Like you ever think he goes out sometimes and's like. I think that that's pretty much him. You don't think it's an act? I mean, no. I mean, yes and no. He's probably bipolar like most comedians. I know we're just me and Abu were just talking about that. Like comedians are super genius, like the really good ones, but they all have like substance abuse issues. It's the dark side. I know. It's probably it's a coping you, mechanism, you know. I think it's probably because you understand humanity better than most people. Yeah, you see it really clearly. It's heavy. 
Yeah, like being funny is not that fun. <laughs> being like truly funny. Yeah, like not. We were just funny. talking about that, like observational humor. I think probably the, a lot of those people are almost like monk-like in their ability to kind of be outside of a situation, looking in and really. Observe. Can you elaborate on what you think observational humor is? Um. Well, we were talking about Seinfeld. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Genius. Which, um. And. What is the show? We watch it at night sometimes. After watching something really heavy on Netflix, we'll watch like an episode of um, Comedians in Cars. In the Cars with coffee. coffee. Yeah. Because it's super light mm-hmm. and easy. And sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's like, okay, that was fine. But, but just a, the ability. I guess he's a big meditator. So Mark and I were talking about this because. Who? Jerry Seinfeld? Yeah. Which makes sense, I guess. I feel like Larry David's a real genius. Yeah. Do you like Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yes. Genius. M- much. I, I mean, yeah, I've kind of got my weird, there's something about Seinfeld that just sort of like irks me. You I don't like it. Him. I like the show Seinfeld, but that was yeah, I feel you. a lot of Larry David. I don't know. Before we move on. Anyway. <laughs> we have the perfect blend of professional and creative in the building. And honestly, I practiced that in the mirror before that. I was like, this would be a good way to start the episode. But this is Connor Hallway. You're listening to the Golden Hours podcast. And I have Elizabeth McGarry. Did I say the last name right? Yeah, you did. Are you Irish? <laughs> I am so not Irish. Okay. Well, I am. So <laughs> I is that a bad thing? Are. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's just... <laughs> you look I feel Irish. like an imposter. Is it... I've got the most Irish name. And I live it? in South Boston. It's all a cover. Oh, Southie. Southie. Can you just kind of elaborate on who you are, what you do, and where you come from? Yeah. Um, well, my name's Elizabeth McGarry, but I'm not at all Irish. Um, I have been living in Boston for, I don't know, 13 years, a little more than 13 years now, but I'm from Oregon. Kind of Shout like, out to Oregon. Shout out to Oregon. Um, West Coast, kind of country girl. Bumpkin. But, little bumpkin a little bit of that oregon's more not like really red con- it's more like redneck kind of like working class but also like a little like nature valley granola bar kind of yeah yeah you've got a lot of like gun toting um but like environmentalists you know oregon was the first state that passed psilocybin as legal right mushrooms Oh, Colorado? No, Colorado is weed, but I think Oregon was trying to pass mushrooms first. That yeah. doesn't surprise me. It's like a weird like mix of people, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I liked growing up there. Um, we moved to Beaverton, Oregon when I was in sixth grade, so a little more like city city living. That's really the is, is that where OSU is? No, OSU is in Corvallis. Uh, so Beaverton's just a suburb of Portland. Um, it's, I grew up like a mile away from the Nike campus. Whoa. You were spying. Yeah. Um. Oh, that's Beaverton is where the Nike office is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Most known for that, for sure. Um, but yeah, I moved, I, I went to design school after that in Seattle and got my degree in apparel design and moved to Belgium and had Whoa. an opportunity to work over there and like this cool... I don't know, like dream place. Fashion house kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like this sample house that w- this woman started in a converted farm 
like outside of Antwerp. Oh, so very you were, like you were being rebellious, avant-garde, bohemian dreams, you know. So you, you were really just cool. like, "Hey, I want to, I want to leave the country. I want to leave the West Coast, go to Europe." Type. Thing. I just had an opportunity to do it, um, really fortunately. So and and yeah, took advantage of it and like learned more on my first day there than I felt like I'd learned in in a classroom. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, was that tough for you being in classroom learning how to be creative? Like, was no, it impossible? No, because like art school is so not a w- classroom environment. You know, is it a lot? It's of, like, just like experimental it's studios. Stuff? Basically, you just you have your professors teaching you how to draft a pattern and how to sew something, and you're using your hands the whole time. And oh, so it was more like space, kind of like this, without the two ferns <laughs> and the the black rag <laughs> I in the wish back. There were more greens. Yeah, yeah, but it was like I was in downtown Seattle, right on the waterfront. You know, my view was the Puget Sound, and that was a really creative space. And so you go to school, you graduate, and then you apply for the job in Belgium? So I actually had a job opportunity through some family friends to work for this menswear brand in Spain. So you always knew you were going to do clothes? Yeah, I did. You've always been fashionable. I don't know. The denim dominator. Once I decided I wasn't going to be a dolphin trainer at SeaWorld when I was like, nine <laughs> that would be pretty fire though <laughs> i don't know and then i was yeah my, my parents were really supportive because in high school i was like oh i, I want to be a photojournalist or i want to be a child psychologist um or a fashion designer whoa <laughs> my dad's now like, you're all three <laughs> and i was like terrible at school so i think my dad was like you know do the thing that's gonna make you happy and are, um, are your parents entrepreneurial at all yeah I would say so. They're both really creative. I don't know that they, they've, they've just, I don't know, been really supportive in non-traditional career paths for all their kids, all five of us. Five? Mm-hmm. What, you're the youngest? In the middle. Whoa. Text, textbook middle. Yeah, so you're the psycho. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the peacekeeper. I thought the middle was always the one who felt stifled. No, I think the oldest, and this is also true, and the youngest are like... The chaos. Yeah. They demand the most attention. I don't know. They, they're the ones that act out. But I was like, still kind of am the peacekeeper, a moderator, mediator. Level head. Most of the time. Well, I think that's probably something you can attest to. So Elizabeth works for you. Actually, yeah. Can you just tell me your job title right now? What you do? <laughs> I'm the creative director for York Athletics. Which is a startup. Which is a startup. In the beta stage? Yeah, we're in like year... Four. Shout out to you. Yeah. Do you think you'd make it this far when you started? <laughs> yeah. Good for you. Of course. It's, it's like so courageous <laughs> startups. Honestly, I mean, this is a startup. Look around. Yeah. It's funny. I feel like the word startup is such a new thing. You know, like everyone. There's a connotation working. with it. I yeah, think. yeah. I, it's like, yeah, it's a startup, but what does that mean? It's like we're, in, we're a new business. We're just. But you're a fresh growing. brand, though. Yeah. Like the brand is so fresh. fresh like like the plant behind fresh. me. <laughs> Big fresh. That's fresh or just like new and young or yeah. Hopefully we feel fresh. Well, I just think what you guys are doing, especially I was pumped to hear that it was out of Boston. But I think what you guys are doing in terms of like rapping in creatives in the city, that's like so dope. Yeah. The Lord Felix campaign was so sick. Yeah. Who was He's that your choice? Like an angel too. Um, 
He was introduced to us by Sam Sugarman, who does pop up the flea market Word. events here oh, cool. at Warehouse. Um, oh, yeah, we're at the Warehouse. Sorry, Obligatory. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, so I had met her through this, uh, the Hermes Collective, who did an event with Bodega, the... Um, her by bodega panel discussion and anyway just like kind of got wrapped up in that she had him at an event that they did um at the flea market and then yeah we were just we, we needed a track we needed a track like right now we were doing the photo uh the video edits and i don't know nothing oh so you didn't have the really, song before the video we didn't for for our very first campaign that we did um the the worth the fight campaign that we launched back in may so yeah i just i just was like we need we need something more more real than this kind of like understated little mellow track or a whatever. little more pulse a little yeah, more yeah, yeah yeah so um she was like have have you checked out lord felix we'd been listening to lord felix in the studio because our intern sarah That's was fire. friends with him you know and and so yeah as soon as i heard the track i was like yep and she hooked us up, just like immediately connected us with his management team. And she just like an angel was just, I don't know. It's like with literally within hours, we had the track all broken out into stems that we needed and all that. Was it so in the office, do you guys have a pulse on kind of what's going on Boston music wise or do you like try to keep tapped into it? There's we definitely have some music lovers in in the studio I think my pulse is just more on what's happening creatively in the city, like photographers and music and creators in general. But no, I don't have it. Yeah, I wish I had more time to just like. I know you're busy. Listen all the time. So why do you why do you try to tap into what's going on creatively in the city? I mean, like it's like super inspiring, you know. It just kind of fuels me. It's not It's not so much that I'm on this mission to like tap the creative community in Boston specifically. It's just like there are creative people here making stuff. And I don't think that they are being connected with the right people to like mm-hmm. take a bigger leap or, or whatever it is. I think um, there's this cool undercurrent of creative talent here. And then there's a ton of corporate companies that go yeah. to new york for you all their career, you know to go to they like big four accounting firm yeah it's just it's it's weird so i guess an advantage that we have as a small brand is um being the decision makers we don't have to go through a ton of channels mm-hmm. and yeah so that's one thing that when i'd started the show there's this guy named sean milliken he runs for boston it's a streetwear brand and he was like Listen, this is what you don't get, man. Boston, there's like a ton of money here. Mm-hmm. But there's this big lapse in the creative community here and then the money. Yeah. And there there isn't really a bridge. Yeah. And so like I'd like to do more work with the sneaker brands. Like you guys don't even understand. He actually had told me about York, but he was like, You don't even understand. Like New Balance is here. Reebok has a big office here. Converse has an office here. Puma. And there's never really been that yeah. until York came along. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Did you notice that when you had started here? Yeah. I mean, I was just, I don't 
love or really believe in the strength of like working with big influencers or influencers. I just think that there are people who have really tight and and Boston's like that. Like you have to kind of turn over the rocks. A little clicky. Yeah. It's a little clicky, but I think it's a more of a survival tactic here as as opposed to like any kind of exclusionary, you know, yeah. sentiments. I think people are just like, oh my God, we need each other, like sticking together, trying not to um let anyone else leave mm-hmm. for greener pastures in like bigger for New York cities. or LA. Yeah. New York, LA or or London but I get it it's like you can only survive so long well there's just you know? no money for creatives here, yeah you know I we work have worked with a photographer who literally was like if I change my profile to NYC I'll get jobs here but if it says based in Boston it's like you'll be overlooked it's ridiculous wow so you know so, so that's pretty fire that you guys just like are consistently trying to outsource some of your work in city yeah yeah i mean we're so small so basically as creative director like i can't i don't actually have the skill set to do all these things but i have the eye and the um the vision for it so it's really my job to like pull teams together you're you're a producer yeah basically it's like my favorite part of the job producing yeah is it is it tough for you being Again, we'll get back to the life story real quick, but is it tough for you to be like, you have your own creative vision and then you have to delegate a lot of responsibility to a team? Do you ever feel like the, the idea is diluted through the team or does that just come with if it developing dilutes, a cohesive it's team? It's on me because it just means I'm not communicating something. Clearly. Elizabeth's a boss, you know? man. That's for real. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, sometimes you you delegate something out and you get it back and it doesn't look like what you had in your head. And it's like, all right, I'm not doing a good job communicating what's in my head. What are my tools for that? How does this person, like everyone needs to get, receive information differently. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of change up your, I don't know, I probably got better at that being a mom. Um, <laughs> and like, shout out to your kids, man. <laughs> shout out to my kids for helping me be schizophrenic at work. Um, <laughs> like I can put on, a, you know, different hats and then sometimes you don't have the patience for it. And you're like, I was going to say, well, because most creatives would just, I, I think I was talking to Abu about this last night, but I think long term, like artists right now who are in the city, I think they'd want to be in your position when they're in their mid thirties, mm-hmm. in their forties. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think that's kind of like the golden position. Like I would love to be the head of a, of a creative direction of a dope brand. Yeah. And so it's like, but I would say that most people will say that when they're like 25. You think so? Oh yeah. I had an intern quit last year because she was like, I just realized I need to be doing this. Oh, that's happened with two people actually that I've brought on to work with. So I'm like, that's cool. I think that there's definitely an, an element of like, uh, kind of just a little itchy and impatient. impatient. Yeah. That's my biggest issue, I think. But it's also like, you can do that. You, Mm -hmm you're not going to be that good at it at first. Or like you might be a creative visionary and have a good eye, but learning how to communicate your vision and get everyone on the same page. Is that just over time for you? Yeah. You just developed the skill set over time? Yeah. Well, like you were sort of touching on it and this has been heavy on my mind. Like there is so this really creative um, cast here and many people who are on the younger side and, there are opportunities for them, but that bridge doesn't exist in, a, in part because like you can't, 
you you need you need people around you who can elevate you or can mm-hmm. you know something I learned I think being young and going into the corporate side of design made me a better designer maybe but mostly just made me more professional and learn how to speak to my ideas and we were talking about like Nike being the master the master storytelling brand I mean that's really what's catapulted them I think so I think Gatorade's done a really good job too yeah I mean a lot of those brands they've been around a long time you Mm -hmm. know and if they've been around a long time it's because they're telling really good Mm -hmm. stories not necessarily just because they have dope products are you in that that like little brother mindset with York right now? Like we want to beat the shit out of those guys, man. Mm, not really. I'm not like fuck you, Nike, because I I look back fondly on my time there and and um, still have like friends there and. Um, but it's good to have a mindset. I like admire that, right? I admire a lot of what they do, but at the same time, I just know there's room for more people to play the game. You know, mm-hmm. there's like room for another tone i think our advantage is um being small and nimble and quick and and earnest in everything we do it's like not a marketing ploy it's just like this is actually how we work it wasn't like you know what if we work with lord felix it's going to do this that and the other it was just like these guys are awesome that track is amazing and you're easy to work with and you're making it like you know you're being collaborative structure of partners and stuff like that yeah yeah and then like, and it builds. So like the next, the next campaign we did that we just launched, um, earlier in the month, like we brought him in before we shot the, the video, before we did the photo shoot, we walked the space together. He got a feel for it. It was here, right? No, that one we did at the Roger Williams Botanical Garden. Whoa. It was beautiful. And so, yeah, he, he created a, a track for like us. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of ferns. Um, yeah, and he, he came up with something original, and um, we had that in mind before we started editing, which was cool because it was like now we're editing to a track as mm-hmm. opposed to trying to retrofit something. Yeah, that's always a kind of a tough find. Anyway, it's just like very organic and real, and um, the love is real, the collaboration is real, and it's not all smoke and mirrors. <sighs> that's, that's Peggy. She's here. <laughs> She's a force. Yep, you can hear her. Um, so a little rewind because we got into the business talk real quick. I'm trying my best to boot. We're in the new space. I'm trying to provide hashtag value for the listeners, but, (laughs) but so you were out in Europe. Was Mm -hmm. it Antwerp? Yeah. Sounds, sounds Mm -hmm. exotic. Mm -hmm. And then you came back because you wanted to start getting into the sneaker companies around here. You wanted to become that CEO boss. You always knew you were. <laughs> yeah, basically. No, this is going to put a timestamp on everything. But um, I was in Antwerp getting ready for Paris Fashion Week when um, the World Trade Center was attacked. So that was really bizarre, strange time, I think, just industry-wise, um, personally, obviously. Shocked the world, man. Yeah, shocked the world. It was interesting being over there when that happened because um, just politically, Belgium is very neutral. Um, no one understood how we, like in all of Europe, no one could understand how we had um, George W. Bush as, like we elected George W. Bush as president. Oh, my God, what's this going to lead to? Mm-hmm. And all of that. So um, it was interesting. And, and also, like, 
everything changed. Like no one was hiring. No one was um, buying. You know, like going into Paris Fashion Week with these designers, we'd been working so hard and, you know, there was a lot of trepidation about the economy and all of a sudden everything felt really frivolous and irresponsible and I don't know, it was, it was, it was an interesting early, you know, I was in an early stage of my career to kind of be exposed to that level of like how global politics and world events can impact fashion. And how, how much leverage the U.S.'s decisions have on the rest of the world, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'd been in the Middle East um, earlier that same year, so it was also just interesting having a, a little more of my own firsthand knowledge in terms of like our involvement in other places. Um, but I sort of lived out the season, did Paris fashion week. What was that like wild? Uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, it was special. I think <laughs> it's maybe with that old, one of the main reasons why I was super hireable when I got back to Portland, Oregon was that I had, you, were you know, at the week. I had my fashion degree, but I also had this really unique experience, which is always my and that's kind of hashtag like, value for your listeners. Value. Like, do things that are going to set you apart from every other and that's know, like, that's candidate like, for a job. That's like winning a Grammy, kind of right in fashion, like being part of Paris Fashion Week. Yeah, I mean, it's just for being. You I don't know, know 20... man. You see my swag? <laughs> you got mermaid socks on. I like those socks. We, we should do a denim strong. episode. That'd be great. Yeah? I would love to. Socks and denim? No, I'm just saying after this, you rubbed off on me. Maybe I'll just wear denim for oh. every episode. <laughs> the denim dominators, man. I got that you got Canadian, that swag. Canadian tuxedo. I do have to dress up for you. I was going to say, do your kids know your swag? Um, My older son is, is learning that now, I think. So my mom's a boss. It's only because his friends are like, You're the cool mom. Your mom's pants are so cool. So How old is he? He's 16. Whoa. Yeah. So he actually will take my you know, advice now. Does he go to school in Southie? No, he goes uh, to school in Roxbury. Whoa. Roxbury Latin? Um, he's at the OB, the School for Math and Science. O'Brien. Oh, the OB. Mm-hmm. So you, you got some genius kids. Yeah, he's a smart boy. You, your kid's the next Jeff Bezos, probably. <laughs> he works at AFH, um, which is Artists for Humanity. Oh, so you got so, a bunch of artists in the so family. So he's really creative. He just happens to be really good at math. and The super know. kid. You got to yeah. hire him. <laughs> he actually helped me with that colorway that you were asking the shoes? me about. Yeah. No way. Yeah. What are the name of those shoes? That's the Frank by Ali Raisman. I, I got the... Which we'll get into, I'm sure. I have the Henry Bones on. Mm-hmm. Love them. Yeah, those are one of my favorites too. Do they get confused with the Hirachis sometimes? Not to corner you. I don't know. No, it's funny. I find myself more and more like when I'm in traffic, I'm doing double takes. I'm like, is that person wearing our shoes? which is not at all what was going on when we first launched. We haven't changed up our shoe. We're like, we designed a really minimal kind of perfect, perfect sneaker that doesn't need a lot of fucking with, you know? And the way I feel in these is like, yo, I could wear these to an interview, you know, be totally relaxed. And I could also, if I wanted to, if I'm like going out with a shorty, I could wear these too and be fine. Yeah. They're very versatile. Yeah. And you could even wear these in the gym. 
I'm just doing some marketing for, for the you. gym. Yeah. No, no, they are built for running and for cross training. And for feeling like, but I am a young professional. The idea that you could have a minimal sneaker that works well and is comfortable was like not happening when we first launched the brand. And now, and we know that firsthand because at all the big companies, you have performance and you have lifestyle, and they like aren't allowed to no infringe on each other's territory. Um, and Mark being at Puma and I was at Reebok at the time when we both left and started to get into this world. Um, you guys were just we were taking like, blueprints. That's we're like, that's ridiculous. I agree. No, we weren't taking blueprints. She, you, you we been... just knew that that's messed up. And I was, I started freelancing and I was getting hired more and more on the apparel design side to like design performance clothing that didn't look like performance clothing like we wanted to look like streetwear we wanted to look like um you know more fashion forward but it should work i feel like the build of these sneakers are similar to like the build not the look mm -hmm. to a yeezy do this all kind of come in the same wave or my launched before yeezy okay but you know what <laughs> i think what what i will confidently say and i just know this because of all of our friends in the industry um i don't we, i don't mean to disrespect you at all no no, no you shouldn't I, i'll take it as an opportunity to say i think a lot of people actually paid attention to york when we launched like we launched um bodega carried our sneakers hype beast wrote about us we launched in this space in this time when this just wasn't really happening and very soon after that like they were logos logos stopped dropping off the side of things i mean a, a huge catalyst in like how we got funding in the brand even was we're like look at the market this is messed up like you cannot buy a performance sneaker without three bold stripes on the side or a giant swoosh like the mm -hmm. branding and the logo is always popping off like like that's the i feel you the key you know element we're like we just want it to be sophisticated minimal understated like the every other aspect of my life and my wardrobe is is like that but i cannot find gym sneakers um so the fact that they're crossing over for people now is like because that's all people were wearing for lifestyle and then they were literally have to take those shoes off and put on something ugly and like uncomfortable i don't know i just always felt like i had to dress up in a costume to go to the gym or to, to run or something and they're affordable it's not like these are like ridiculously expensive yeah i mean i'd like them to be more affordable to be honest but you think 140 is too expensive i don't know i just think it'd be cool if everyone could wear them that global marketing strategy <laughs> yeah i don't know like we we pay a lot for our shoes to be made because we don't want to sacrifice on the quality they last a long time they can be beat up mm -hmm. there's some other brands out there right now that like make a similar looking shoe but they don't last for very long yeah so when you guys started the brand was your main focus like hey listen this is going to be mad tough but we're just going to make sure we focus on creating the best possible product was that kind of a mission initially yeah or? we knew we knew we could make a product that looked unlike anything else going on in the market, like if everything was neon and big logos, then we can make something that's like black and cream and no logos. Definitely ice cream. Yes, sir. <laughs> and um, if, if all performance products are targeting 
you know, premier athletes and gym rats, like we can show this other side. Like there, there are artists and chefs and um, musicians who like also value their health and well-being. And can't we just be a brand for for like our people? Yeah, it's so true. Um, so that's really what we started and how we raised money and gained support with people who are totally seeing the opportunity for that 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 white space. And when you guys were entering the space, was it like, okay, we already kind of, we already have a good gauge on what's going on in the market just Mm -hmm. because of our experience type thing? Mm -hmm. Or how did you initially get the product idea out? Did you build a prototype? Yeah, we had one of our very good, we had a couple of our, it's like also the benefit of having some experience in the industry. You get to draw on your friends. Your network. um, Who are super talented and like, also at similar life stages where they're like, why am I doing this for someone else now? So, um, yeah, Eric Thomas, who helped us on like the whole brand, um, identity and creative and packaging and really worked with us on the initial product design concepts. And then our friend, Mike Kirtley, who at the time had just left as the head of innovation at Reebok, the like innovation director um, and he's a footwear designer. He really worked with us on like, how do we make the most minimal, but super functional, like treat it like utility, you know, Um, which is usually like the perfect design um, sneaker. So he worked with us. We needed, we wanted it to be unisex. We didn't want to make different products for men and women. We didn't want to market differently to men and women. Um, Yeah. Everything from like the last shape, which is all footwear gets drafted off of this. Like last shape, we made a custom last with the greatest last makers in the world just happened to be outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Um, so yeah, everything was custom from the ground up, you know. What is the last shape? Have you ever seen like a foot mold? Um, some Like the old ones would be wooden. You'll see them in like antique stores you sometimes, like that, right? Like you show up to CVS, like Dr. Scholl's type thing? <laughs> no, it just like looks like a foot, like a mannequin. Okay. But a foot. Okay. You know what I mean? Like a gel that's hardened. No. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> not Dr. Scholl's <laughs> gel inserts. That's not what we're talking about. There's you, a saying in the industry, the last comes first. And it's literally like, I, I don't know. Google it. Footwear last. Okay. <laughs> I, didn't, I don't tote one around. They're kind of heavy. But um, it's just like the shape in which your shoe is drafted off of. And it's called, what was it called? A last. A la- L-A-S-T. last. Mm-hmm. Like this is the last phase before we build the shoe. Yeah. Just give it to me. Okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> the last comes first. And so why did you guys choose Boston to camp out? Uh, we live here. You were already living here? Yeah. And I mean, Boston, My well, Mark's family's in Boston. My family's in Portland, Oregon. And both of those towns are like shoe towns so we kind of knew we'd always be in one place or the other and you didn't want to go with that big market too Uh, oversaturated no i mean it's really important i think when it's probably for the same reason a lot of creatives leave boston it's like you go to new york or la because the creative there's a creative infrastructure there um facts (laughs) you know and like if you're launching a fashion brand like a women's ready-to-wear brand. You might want to go to New York because there's a garment district and you can mm-hmm. buy fabric and buttons and find pattern makers. So it's for all those reasons, it's it's really beneficial to be in Boston launching a performance 
sneaker brand because you have a lot of talented, experienced people. And you weren't worried at the start, like, wait, there are all these big companies here. How are we going to find our niche? You just knew that there was an open space no, in the market. No, because we worked for all those companies and we we're like... You had the blueprints, man. <laughs> you were robbing them. We just like a lot of the times it's like, what what don't we want to do? You know, we don't want to structure ourselves this way. We don't want to draw mm-hmm. these lines between performance and lifestyle. Uh, we don't want to have an HR department. We, you know, like, yeah. I think it's 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 not intimidating. It's if anything, it's like keep your enemies. Was it keep your friends close? Keep your enemies, enemies closer. closer. <laughs> I don't know. They're not my enemies, but you know what I mean. Should, like well, keeping, I got some keeping spies. tabs. <laughs> I like that. Keeping tabs on things. Um, but I've also, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's not intimidating. And Boston's got cool energy too. I think it's got. You've got that like polished financial district kind of like seaport. money side of of Boston, and then you've got the really um gritty just like work hard the, the, the you know camp salt, podcast salt in the, the warehouse yeah <laughs> kind of people and 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 energy and vibes so i think that that underdog kind of um fighting spirit that we that we really have embodied from the beginning people gravitate towards that because we're like yeah i'm not like shiny and flashy i'm this is these are my people it's my dog <laughs> hey thanks for coming today <laughs> Um, so there's a, you've had mad experience and like doing tons of stuff. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm just trying to talk for the people out there Yeah. and like you're successful. What, what skills have you had to acquire over time that have allowed you to be in the position you're in that didn't necessarily come naturally to you? Oof. How was that for a question? That's so loaded. So I'm saying, what do you suck at that you got good at? Um, I sucked at um, presenting my ideas. With confidence? Yeah. Like, without just being terrified and, you know, wanting to throw up or whatever. Or ridicule. Yeah. Just, no, just just the idea of, I still hate public speaking. This is like a little more You're doing great. Easy. But, um I learned early on, especially at Nike, you could be a really talented designer, but if you cannot sell your ideas and get people on board, which is 100% about like how confidently you you can communicate, how confidently and clearly you can communicate, um, then it won't matter. You'll just get bulldozed by like the biggest person in the room. The so, big ego. Yeah. So, um, they put a lot of emphasis on that and like in terms of just career development, I took like, you know, the art of storytelling and public speaking kind of classes that they offered there on campus and, um, slowly got more and more comfortable with that part of the job. And, um, I don't necessarily think that really creative artistic people should have to be good at selling their ideas, but if they're not, they need a partner who is. So I've kind of been able to like bring that into um, when I left. Well, when I was at Reebok, I think just being mm-hmm. a champion for my younger designers, like. Um, well, yeah, because creatives, I don't know if this is, I think this is kind of just a misconception, but the truly creative people are usually the most introverted. Like that's yeah. what people will say. Yeah. It can often be that way. Yeah. But like if you're working for a company or you have investors um, and you're not just like a fine artist in a studio, 
then you kind of need to know how to communicate. You got to sell. Yeah, you got to sell. Whatever you want to call it. I mean, you have to give other people confidence that your ideas are smart and relevant. Get people excited about it. Yeah, yeah. So when I started consulting after I left Reebok in 2009... That was McGarry and Sons, right? Yeah, yeah. I did my research. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, so McGarry and Sons is really you know, still this kind of like non-agency collaborative resource for especially new ventures or um, brands that want to experiment and explore new ideas. Like our thing was always, we had a core, a little core team that grew and built over the time. And, you know, I had like a superstar designer who was really uncomfortable with presenting and, um, you know, like she learned that the more confident that she was because behind behind closed doors like sh- i would always be like what do you think it should be like heather she's mm-hmm. fucking rad and totally knows what's up but but she was just getting nervous in front of a crowd yeah, yeah yeah it's just sort of like how do i articulate this in a way that's gonna make you guys see that this is right and throw some money at it <laughs> yeah i feel you yeah, yeah yeah but she's there now she's like owns nice. it and everyone it's like whatever you say you're the boss so so a, a little bit back to you being totally successful, and being <laughs> being a boss. So do you think people in the creative space should focus on their strengths over time? Or do you think you should kind of outsource? For sure. Focus on your strength and outsource your weaknesses, hire on your weaknesses. Yeah, just be trusting enough to like let your guard down and say like, this is not what I'm good at, which I think is sort of, maybe a generationally hard thing to do. I think there's sort of this perception that you have to be really good at everything. Um, and that's not true. So I think, yeah, like why, why wouldn't you focus on your strengths? What if you want to be good at everything? <laughs> don't, don't try to do that. Be like really good at something. And then, you know. So are you like really good at design? Or are you like really good at producing? Or you're just a boss at both. <laughs> I think I'm a better producer and editor than I am a designer. Editor via just all like yeah, just video, sort of like being audio. able to see the the bigger picture and the context and like pinpointing what's right about something, what's wrong about something, and and making the right suggestions to strengthen it. Are you a quick decision maker or do you mull over decisions? Mm, it totally depends. I'm, that's that's an area that I'm trying to get better at. Being more decisive. Mm-hmm. I think I've grown a lot in that this year. Getting out of consulting and more into like this fast paced startup, mode. you know, thing. You just have to like make a decision and go and it might not be the perfect decision, but you'll learn from it. And mm-hmm. then you just keep 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 iterating. I'm less precious about every little thing now. Yeah, was micromanaging ever an issue for you? Yeah. I, I could imagine. Because yeah. brand's like your baby, so. Yeah. It's like your fourth baby. We have three kids. I think micromanaging comes from like not trusting the process. You know, like not trusting Whoa. the people around you. That was profound. <laughs> I don't know if it was, but <laughs> I... Um, have learned to let certain things go. Like I certainly had a lot of opportunities to make mistakes and be humiliated by those mistakes and have to recover for them. Mm -hmm. And like you have to work, you know, twice as hard to 
to make up for that lost time, but you learn from it. What was a bad one? A bad mistake? Yeah, like a big L. Like was there a was there a Paris Fashion Week where you just like messed up someone's wardrobe and like your boss was like, "You're fired. It's over." Oh my gosh. I don't know. I I, would, I might have to come back to that one. I've had plenty of them. Um there's no mistakes in life, man. There's only lessons. Who said that? Every that every Jay-Z. smart person. <laughs> every successful person. <laughs> every successful person, yeah. When you had started this, I don't even mean to obscure you, but when you had started the company with your husband, we were like, yo, we're like going to be on top of each other all the time. Yeah, no. So (laughs) we, when we started York uh, with the York brothers, we were, we were running McGarrian Sons together and we knew that both of us couldn't do that like financially just wouldn't be smart. So Mark joined York as the CEO and a co-founder and I stayed on as a creative director, but I also had all my other clients. Mm-hmm. So I continued to build McGarian Sons alongside York building and just what's kind of like moonlighting. I'd come in to direct a photo shoot, pick the assets after the photo shoot and then kind of be out. Um, and last year, I, yeah, we were kind of like, oh, the, the brand's growing. Like McGarian Sons is kind of plateauing in that I'm going to need a business partner to keep it growing because we're sort of at max capacity. So we decided to wind down McGarry and Sons and that I would come join York full time. So did you guys like set boundaries? Like, yo, listen, we yeah. love each other, but this is also business. Yeah, it's really hard. And I mean, I, I've seen this over and over again with other co-founders. If you're good friends or you're married or you're a couple or um, it's like siblings or whatever it's really hard to start a business with someone who you love outside of the business um and so we've done a lot of reading and research on like how to make that a successful thing dude i can only imagine just our own gut checks i mean we try not to bring number one rule is like don't bring the day home with us yeah but that's impossible it's impossible but it takes a lot of like zen (laughs) training mind training I feel like it's just a lot bouncing around your head yeah, all yeah, the time yeah, yeah so I mean it helps that we have our boys at home and we try to we're kind of like weekend warriors we try to get out a lot and experience things together and just sort of like leave just know mm-hmm. there's a difference between like your job and your your life work but it's tough when you're building your own brand though and your company it's like yeah. it doesn't really ever leave your mind does it no I think it's Probably the a common trait with creatives in general is like you're constantly absorbing everything going on around you. Like I'm always taking pictures. I'm always thinking of whether it's like color or texture. Or I like how that looked. I'm, I'm just like always researching. There's never really like a pause of um, where I'm turning my brain off from inspiration Mm -hmm. and so my family's learned to accept that about me that it's not like I'm thinking about work stress it's it's really fueling for me where it's I think different if you're if your brain's not wired that way but but at a certain point you you must be somewhat obsessive right yeah yeah I'm the same way yeah do do you hate it yeah like nothing's ever perfect to me like nothing's ever right so you're one of those (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i've learned not to be mad about it you know to me it's just sort of like okay learn 
that lesson learned, you know, like that campaign didn't come out how I wanted. Mm -hmm. like, why? What, what went into that? And just more being more action oriented instead of like being pissy about it. I have a few questions I got to ask. Okay. People were asking me. I know you got to get out of here soon. You're busy. You're busy. Business. Busy business. Okay. Are you having fun? I am. Cool. We're doing a good job, Boo. Um, oh, I already asked you about your office being under 35 for the most part. The streetwear brand. Oh, yeah. Can you kind of talk about why you don't take venture capital? Just real briefly. So for a little, link, little LinkedIn content. <laughs> LinkedIn content. Um, I think that maintaining control of of the trajectory of the brand has been really important. We're definitely playing a long game in terms of, you know, we don't just want to be a flash in the pan. And I think you are seeing that a lot with, with these hugely VC backed brands that go big on Instagram for a couple of years. And then, yeah, like I don't think Instagram brands are going to be brands for much longer because Instagram's changing constantly. Like the rules of engagement digitally are, are changing. So my eye is really on how to build a brand that people have loyalty to feel emotionally connected to like drumming up that grassroots kind of word of mouth following in business and being in the real world. Um, so you focus on relationships? I don't think that very many VC companies are, are like into that. They want to see a quick turn on their investment, you know? Sorry, I cut you off my phone. That's fault. all right. I wasn't listening. What'd you say? <laughs> so, so, so you think just getting a, that's never enticing for you though. Like, yo, we could make so much extra money right now and just pour it all back into the business. Yeah, of course. It's I'm tempting. sure. You're just like constant. I think you should probably have Mark on the show sometime and talk to him because he's Tell got him a whole, good guy. Like, it's, I will. Um, I think, uh, I try not to get too bogged down on that side of it. That's that's one of those areas where it's like you have Leave your the lane. To him. Like I've got mine. I know what my budget is. I'm using it as wisely as I can. Um, but I I generally agree. I've I've consulted with with early stage startups that had VC funding versus those that haven't, and um, the vibes pretty different. The pr the amount of pressure is 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 a different kind of pressure. Um, yeah there's always someone on the chopping block i feel like every vc brand that i've i've had a peek into has got like really high turnover for example with their employees i'm like what's that about we have we haven't you know like we have a really good core team and everyone's been there sort of pretty much since the beginning and there's something to be said for that okay that was a good answer for you i got like two more well Actually, I already asked most of them. Good for me. Um, okay, so real quick. In terms of what you guys have coming up, you want to do a little marketing, a little promo? Yeah, well, if you haven't seen it yet, we've got um, our model, the Frank, which is an award-winning cross-training shoe. Here we go. Marketing um, mode. Here we go. It's true. Snagging up awards. Um, we did two exclusive colorways with Ali Raisman who's um, boss. a boss, um, just a total fire starter, um, also Boston girl. And um, those are out now. We've got some new products dropping later in September that Sneaks. are like super, yeah, like the shoe you're wearing, the Henry, 
We did some really, we did like some fun, fresh fall colors and a water repellent material. So that's going to be really fun. The campaign was pretty dope. We shot it um, in Chinatown with um, a couple of badasses from Boston. Nice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think we were looking into doing like a cool retail activation potentially in New York later in the year, which would be really fun. Don't leave us. I know, just Probably. a little pop-up, just a little in mm-hmm. and out. Um, New York is actually our number one market right now, so um, it'd be good to show up, you know, and be there physically. Wow. Yeah. Number one market via storefront? Just sales. sales. Yeah, like Boston's been our number one market until recently, which is is awesome, but it's also like it's good to see that we're gaining some kind of growing, you know, foothold outside of our home turf. I'll do a little vouching for the shoe. I love the shoe. It makes me feel professional. I also, I got them because I was the center of attention for the mass cast. And so I said, shout out to York. It made me feel like a boss. It's great. <laughs> nice. I appreciate your support. Hey, man. I'm a, I'm a fan of the brand. I hope you're a fan Thank of the you. show. <laughs> uh, I am. Okay, so this is how we start and end the, the episode. Okay. You say hi. Hi. One second. Don't jump the gun. Hi, I'm blank, your name, and this is my golden hour. Directly after no break, hi, I'm blank, and that was my golden hour. Does that make sense? So you're going to say, listen, usually I don't even elaborate on this. You're going to say, hi, I'm Elizabeth McGarry from York Athletics, the young CEO boss. You already know the deal, and this is my golden hour. You just threw in a bunch of well, that's, details. Well, well you're creative. You I thought you put me. the sauce on it. You put that... The York sauce on it. Then directly after, hi, I'm Elizabeth McGarry. I'm also an introvert. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That's what you said on the phone, but you were wildly profound this entire episode. I understood everything you said. You did a great job. I'm going to need a nap after this. (laughs) I'm going to need another espresso shot after this. Whoa. All right. So this is my golden hour. This is my golden hour, and that was my golden hour. You got it. Abu, which camera would you like us on? Um, Do that one. I'm looking at the camera, too. It's between two ferns. <laughs> <laughs> Can I like hold a fern? I need a prop. <laughs> Something. Oh, we're going to have you sign the table and I got you some new shirts. You're probably going to rip apart the quality. It's not gilding though. Okay. Whenever you're ready. I'm not going to rip apart the quality. I'm just going to like rip it apart because that's kind of what I do. Cool. T-shirts, you know. Okay. Whenever you're ready. You're going to look at this one. I'm going to look at this one. I'm sorry. I'll I'll swing this way. I'm saying, hi, my name is Elizabeth McGarry. I'm the creative director for York Athletics, and this is my golden hour. Yes, sir. And hi. (laughs) Hi, this is Elizabeth McGarry, creative director of York Athletics. That was my golden hour. Perfectly executed.